So I want to look at this passage here, and, and uh, in, this, in this message, I want, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. So I'm also preaching tonight as well. So tonight will be the practical part of what we're revealing in Scripture this morning. So tonight we're going to talk about the how-to part of what we're going to reveal and what we're going to speak about that is spoken about in verses 12 through 17. So I want to encourage you to come back for part two for tonight. If not, you can tune in uh, online and, and it'll be live. You can see it streaming uh, through our website and, and at least that way uh, come in because I think it's going to be as important for us to see what God is going to say to us in the practical side of how he's revealing to us in his, uh, in his word, in this overview, in this big 30,000 uh, foot view of what we're going to look at this morning. Fair enough? All right, fair enough. You know, pastors are really good, and I know Paul is real good. He doesn't always tell you the title of his sermon. Sometimes he'll do that, but uh, pastors are really good and creative at coming up with these titles for their sermons somehow that are, are just that punch to the gut that somehow says, yeah, this is what I'm, this is what I'm all about, and this is where I'm going. I, I try to be creative as much as possible, but I figured, hey, where, where's... Uh, how can you go wrong by actually using uh, some of the actual scripture in the title of your message that you're preaching about? So the question is, raise with Christ, keep seeking the things above. That's, that's the title of my message this morning. You're raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. The focal verse is going to be um, verse 16. And you know, when, when I asked Paul, he asked me to, to fill in this morning and, and tonight, and I asked him, sort of sheepishly, can I just take that passage right where you left off when you were preaching? Because Paul's literally preaching this message right through this, through this letter, and I, I was kind of, oh, I hope he lets me do that. I, I actually kind of knew he would say, okay, because you know, you know who Paul is, and, and, and his personality is, of course, yeah, absolutely. And so I asked him, I wanted, to, I wanted to preach this message because, and I told him I was excited about preaching it, mostly because of verse 16. And if you look at verse 16, I want to just take a real quick peek at that. I don't know if you notice, here's a guy that has spent most of his life in, in music and ministry with music and using that. Uh, and, uh, and here we are at this verse. Don't you think this would be like the minister of music's perfect verse to preach on here it is so let the word of christ dwell uh richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing with uh one another what with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god don't you think that would be like the perfect verse that you'd want your music pastor to come up and and preach about well guess what it doesn't mean what we all think it means (laughs) well Yes, it kind of does, but it's not what uh, the Apostle Paul really intended to be the punch of that, of, that, of that verse or of that part of his letter. And yet we take it and lots of people. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I don't want to blow that. But we're going to look at that in just a little bit. So how many of you have 
or have had at any point in your life a, an, a superhero kind of person that you look up to, perhaps maybe, we use that word again, an idol in your life? Somebody that you'd say, man, I want to be like Chuck Castle. Man, if I grow up and I can be half the man as Chuck Castle is, that will be a great life, right? How many of you have somebody? And, and by the way, who are those kinds of people in our lives that we say, this person is a superhero to me, they're, they're somebody I look up to, maybe uh, a, a huge influence or impact kind of person in our life? Who, who would that role model be for you? When I said that, maybe somebody's name came to mind. I don't know who it was. Um, maybe for some of you that were athletes as you were growing up in school, you had some athlete that was a, a role model for you. You wanted to be just like Michael Jordan, right? Flying across the court with your tongue staying, sticking out one side, legs going this way, and the hand going halfway down from, from almost to the elbow down inside of the, the net, Right? With that look, you thought, I can be just like Mike, right? Maybe some of you had uh, another person, maybe a politician. I don't know. Would that be kind of strange to have a politician as a role model? I don't know. Maybe today we'll just, in the day we live in, um, all across the board, that would be a tough one to find, right? Very difficult one to find. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was a, a movie star. Maybe some somebody that was a, an actor or an actress or somebody that accomplished something. Maybe it was a, a like a famous doctor. I don't know who who was that role model for you. Maybe it was your pastor in your church growing up. My my pastor meant a lot to me uh, when I was growing up. But I had a role model that was one of my teachers. Will it surprise you if I told you that my role model teacher was my band director? <laughs> my music teacher? Will that surprise you? Probably not. He had a lot of influence on my life. And, and in, a, in a really good way. Because he invested in my life. He invested time in my life. He... he he poured something into me that I could not pour into myself. And he found and saw things in me that he was able to draw out that I couldn't have done on my own. As a matter of fact, he was even in our wedding, wasn't he, Sherry? <laughs> That's how much of a, of a role model he was for me or an important man uh, in, my, in my life. Maybe it was mom or dad that was your role model. But what happens when hero goes to zero? We, we've seen a few of those, haven't we? How many of you thought Lance Armstrong was the most incredible athlete? Here's a guy who, who had cancer and time after time after time was winning these, these races on his bike. And then all of a sudden we found out he had something kind of sneaky going on in, in, in the background, didn't he? I mean, yes, he was and was an incredible athlete in spite of all of what he had going on. But he, he found some roundabout way 
not to dope himself up, but to dope himself up. It was sort of a not illegal, but it wasn't illegal because nobody had thought of that yet. Literally, where he would take his own blood out of his body, which was oxygen-rich, store it, and then in the middle of the race, give it, have someone give it to him uh, at rest stops so that he could have oxygen-rich blood given to him throughout those races. It was a sneaky way of, of doing something nobody else had thought about. I don't know, somebody had to figure it out, right? But he did it, and then it was like, ooh, a little bit of fall from grace. Then people weren't thinking of him as the hero so much as they were the zero, right? What about Michael Vick, the Eagles quarterback? Everybody thought he's an incredible quarterback, and yeah, there's a lot of skill there, right? There's a lot of talent, but then you find out he's like fighting dogs. And you think to yourself, I don't want to look up to somebody who's like taking dogs and, and making a lot of money by fighting them. That doesn't seem like something you'd like to have as a, as a superhero, right? The incomparable Pete Rose. That guy could catch a ball, right? Then he was a, a great manager for Cincinnati Reds. Then all of a sudden we found out, guess what? He's betting on his own teams. That's not cool. So these guys go from hero to zero, from Hall of Fame to no fame, right? Does that mean that they still don't have the skills and the abilities that they have? No but we don't look up to them because of decisions and choices that they've made. doesn't mean that we can't at some point in the future say, you know what, you are remorseful and you uh, have perhaps maybe gone through some kind of rehab or whatever and now you're not fighting dogs and now you're not gambling and betting in, in nefarious ways and, and, or sneaking supplements into your body to be better than everybody else that nobody else knew about, right? These heroes. What do you think the Apostle Paul was trying to accomplish in the church at Colossae? Colossae, the Colossians. What do you think he was trying to accomplish when he told them in this passage, phrases like, put on love, let the peace of Christ rule in you, admonish and teach with thankfulness, and do all things in the name of Jesus. When he used those big phrases throughout this passage, what do you think he was trying to accomplish? I don't know that he was trying to create superheroes uh, or role models out of the people who were, who were the church. I believe what he was doing was being obedient to the Holy Spirit who had and was breathing through him the words of God uh, through those letters to teach and to... Um, to mature those believers and to grow them. 
as what God was leading him to do through the Holy Spirit by inspiring him to write those words. So let's, let's take a quick peek at this. Look, let's look at verse 12 again, okay? It says, so, as with those who have been chosen by God. I think there's a really important phrase that would be real easy for us in modern evangelical churches right now to walk past. Because right now, there's, there's a little bit of angst in, let's, let's admit it, there's a little bit of angst in a lot of our evangelical churches when, when people begin to use the word chosen and accepted. God's gift, free gift, I accepted. God's gift was God chose me. God selected me. We look at all of these kinds of phrases in Scripture, and, and we get a little nervous because we say, well, how much do I have to do with me coming to know the Lord? And if God is expecting something of me, then how much of it is his? And we are all willing to admit that God is the one who saved us. God is the one who rescued us. God is the one who snatched us out of that pit, right? But we all say to ourselves, but wait a minute. Didn't I pray to receive Christ? Didn't I recognize my sinful state? And, and where, where do I fit into the mix of all of this? And so there's a little bit of angst because people say, well, you're just a Calvinist and you're just an Arminian and, and you're this and that. And then there's the group of people who say, well, I'm neither one of those. I'm just a Christian, right? I'm a Jesus follower. I deny both of your groups, right? Uh, uh, I'm a person who believes in the Bible. And so then we, we have this uncomfortable elephant in the living room that everybody's kind of trying to figure out. Let's just, let's just settle this right now, okay? Are you okay with doing that? God is working on us, and he's teaching, and he's revealing to us. This is an ongoing journey for each and every one of us, okay? And for one of us to say, one of these days, you'll get it like me, is just as bad as the other person saying that, right? Because we're on this journey, but we're on it together. Let's learn together. Let's mature together. And, and we identify in Christ, right? And yes, we are honored by men who have taught great things in the past, um, by how God has revealed to them the depth of Scripture, perhaps, that we we would not have figured out unless those men had done that through the power of the Holy Spirit, perhaps maybe quicker on our journey, right? So let's be grateful for all of that as well, too. But let's not walk past this phrase, as those who have been chosen by God. God's Spirit calls us. Man's soul response. Do we dig ourselves out of the pit and say, there's got to be something good up there? I'm going to climb, 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 climb until I get to the top and say, look, that looks like a God I want to worship. I choose you, God. By the grace of that God, his hand reached into the pit and pulled us out by his grace and his mercy. And those who have been chosen by God God, spirit calls, man's soul replies.
and responds. Let's look back earlier in the chapter. Let's, uh, in the book, look back at chapter 1. What does it say in chapter 1, verse 13? You see those phrases? He rescued us. He transferred us. In him we have redemption. In him we have forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. We are the reconciled. We are reconciled to him through our great efforts. No, through himself. Look at verse 21. He reconciled us in order to be holy and blameless. Do our works create holiness and blamelessness before God? Absolutely not. Our works are a result of God's holiness and blamelessness being placed upon us when he snatched us out of the pit and called us his own. So Paul tells us, in light of everything, he's saying, he, he, he's, as he's already mentioned earlier in the letter, he says at the, at, the, at, the, at the very beginning of chapter 3, so let's jump back, he's saying all this stuff in, verses, in chapters 1 and chapters 2, uh, and chapter 2, and guess what word he uses right there at the very beginning of chapter 3? Therefore. So, all of these things, he's saying, now listen. So, I've said all of the stuff in the first who knows how many pages of my letter, and I don't know how many pages it would have looked like and, and the size of his print um, and, and, and all of that, but by the time he got to this portion of the letter... So he said, with all that in mind, therefore, look what he says in verse 14. Put on love. Why does he want us to put on love? Are, is he creating us to be superheroes, uh, role models? He, I think really the intent is so that we will be what we need to be in Christ. So he's giving us some advice here. We're going to talk a little bit more about this tonight. But he says, put on love. So believers, when you put on love, what are you doing in essence? You're, you're, you're applying glue. Did you know that? When you put on love, you're applying glue. Why? Because look what it says in the rest of that verse. It is the perfect bond of unity. It is the perfect bond of unity. So get some glue and glue each other, okay? This is, you see what I'm saying? It is the perfect bond of unity, love. When we love one another, this is, this is the basis or foundation of fellowship, of, of, uh, of living um, with each other in a, not in, not in commune, but in community. Christian community in unity that bond is love okay so let's look at verse 15 
What does Paul say in verse 15? Let's read verse 15 right here. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. One body that's glued by the bond of the unity of love, right? So look at verse 15. Paul tells us that the, pre- that the peace, excuse me, the peace of Christ must rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ must rule in our hearts. So what does it take for something to rule in your heart or rule or dominate or have dominion in your life? If something rules, what does that imply? I think it implies obedience, don't you think? If we have something that rules, guides us, leads us, tells us what to do, is ruling in our life, then if it's really ruling, then we must be obedient in some way to it, right? So obedience is the great indicator of functionality of rule in our life. And peace is to be the thing that rules in our hearts. So let, Apostle Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ. So not just peace that we come up with or invent or define, but the peace of Christ. What is, what's the difference between the peace of having peace with people or the peace of Christ when we're, when we're describing that? The peace that Christ is is the bridge from our sin and iniquity to what? It is to our righteousness and holiness that was just spoken about in the previous verse. We can't get there without the bridge. So Christ is our peace. He is what brings peace between the enmity that we have with God and God himself. Christ is that peace. He is the one that binds us and he brings us. So what does Apostle Paul say? He says, let the peace of Christ rule, dominate. Let there be obedience to Christ in your life toward God. So I grew up in in the great state of New Mexico. And if you visited New Mexico for any length of time and and you've been there, you're going to see that there's something, there's a lot of things that are sort of weird and unique about the state. But there's one unifying element that everybody all over the entire state of New Mexico basically owns. And that one unique thing is a crop. It is something that is grown in New Mexico, and it is applied and slathered all over everything that most people eat in New Mexico. Now, if you grew up like I did in New Mexico... Many, I would say, not everybody, but I would say the great 80 to 90% of people in New Mexico, we, 
morning, noon, and night will take green chili or red chili, and they will pour it on their food. And it literally becomes a dominating taste and flavor and aroma that rules that food. It really does. I have, if you go look in my fridge right now, I've got a container of green chili and I've got a container of red chili in my fridge. And it's just a regular thing for me to at least definitely have green chili in there. And when Sherry makes dinner and she's done this great work of art on dinner and I go to eat it, when she's not looking, I get some chili and I pour it on top of it. Now, I'm not talking about a, a can of meaty stuff that, that you can go down to the grocery store. We're, I'm talking about the actual pepper that is grown on a plant that is harvested in late summer, that is dried and, 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 uh, and, and pulverized to make a powder for the red chili or is roasted and um, as applied to food in, in its green form, right? So the longer it stays on the plant, it turns red. That green chili pepper turns red the longer it stays on there. Uh, not two different kind of peppers, the same pepper, just how long it stays on there. And then, and then you just apply it to everything. And I tell you, it is a domineering, encompassing flavor. When you go down to Albertsons or Smith's in New Mexico in the summertime, they are roasting chili that you go in and you buy a sack full of chili. Then they have these gas-powered roasters. They're literally roasting. You can smell it all around the neighborhood. And it is an aroma that says, oh, that's home. That's home. It identifies itself, that smell. So this rule is the flavor or the aroma that identifies what it is. And Christ is the aroma that identifies who we are because we are the aroma or the flavor of Christ to those around us. Because just as you cross the border into the land of enchantment, and you begin to get that waft of chili roasting in the summer, in late summer, you say, oh, I must be in New Mexico. When you hear the love and the, um, and the flavor of Christ in you, and you hear it, and you see it, and you observe it, you say, oh, I must be around Christians who are really following and walking before the Lord because I smell and I see and I experience the aroma of Christ and that flavor, that peace of Christ is ruling in their lives. You know, last night, we went down to the, to the fair. We wanted to go to the rodeo. And um, Sherry and I were walking by the... Um, all of those booths where all the food are and every vendor you go from vendor to vendor to vendor and every 20 feet it's a new scent that identifies we smell the barbecue who we smelled that then we smell the corn dogs and we're looking around who has a corn dog you can smell that that scent and you know what it is it identifies itself and believers identify yourself as 
with that aroma of Christ so that those around you say, oh, that's the flavor of Christ lived out in front of me. Let's look at verse 16. This is the one we were hoping to get to. Verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. So 16 urges us to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly within us. So let me ask you a question. If something is residing or dwelling inside of you, it has an influence on, on you. Don't, don't you, don't you think? It has some kind of influence, either an outward influence and hopefully, at the very least, an inward influence on you. So the word of Christ, this, this is the word of Christ. Is it dwelling in you richly that it has an influence on you and then perhaps maybe an outward influence as well too, hopefully, The last year and a half, I don't know, some of you that are experts on when all of this started, December of 2019, I guess, or maybe even before that, that we just don't know about, um, we all began to become familiar with this little thing called COVID-19 or the coronavirus or or whatever it is that that we refer to it these days by its variant um, uh, in recent days. But some of you, many of you, maybe perhaps even present this morning, were infected by that virus. I know I was, and Sherry was, but that was back in Thanksgiving of last year. And some of you, that virus literally penetrated you your person and it had an influence on you didn't it for some of you it was a harsh influence it was a hard one for me sherry got off a little easier than i did but for her she still has more remnants of it because her taste never got all the way better so uh, she says things don't taste right and that's been since thanksgiving of last year I, it never affected my taste that way at all. As a matter of fact, I think everything still tastes the same. It's a good thing this New Mexican loves his chili and wants and needs that on a daily basis. I don't know what it would be like to not be able to taste that. That would be sad. But it had an influence on you, didn't it? And for some of you, maybe you thought you got it or maybe you got it really lighter some of us even some of our members have been in the hospital and and some that it's had a a very very bad effect on so any of the politics aside from that just looking at that from the perspective of just something that invaded you and infected you it took up residence in you 
It dwelled in you. It had influence. I don't know if this is going to surprise you, but I have a friend who for the first time last week, in over a year, he left his house. He's been in his house for over a year. He chose not to leave his house because he did not want to take a chance on getting this virus because his wife is on hospice. And he wanted to do everything he could in light of that to protect her and her longevity while she's on hospice. So literally last week in over a year was the first time he actually left his house. Care to take a stab at where he went? It wasn't Walmart. (laughs) He went to the doctor to get his vaccine. Yeah. And he's scheduled for the second dose later in the month. But he did that because he did not want to be influenced by that virus and he did not want his wife to be influenced by that. So he took measures to build that wall, that barrier, that solid wall around him and say, no, I will not go. And he would not allow people to come in his house unless they had masks on. And only if there was a very good reason for them to be there. And in that case, it was the folks that were providing hospice care for his wife. Those are the only ones he let come in his house. He did not want to be influenced. Are you, as a believer, allowing yourself to be indwelled by the peace of Christ? To have its influence on on you? Or are you setting up hedges of protection? Verse, look, look, at, look at the second half of, of verse 16. A lot of preachers and a lot of teachers, perhaps maybe you, perhaps maybe others you've heard preach and teach, use and look at verse 16 and use it as a verse to encourage worship and singing. And, and they walk away and they just leave it as just that. The only... They leave that idea of just ringing in your ears and in your mind that verse 16 is about worship. And about, it's, it's a, a verse to say, look, God is telling us we need to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we need to get out there and do that. But in fact, if you look at the verse in context... And you ask yourself, what does it really mean? What do those words, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord, and and the other parts of it, what does it mean in context? I I think no doubt. We we can inspire and encourage people to worship and be worshipful and to have a worshipful response in our heart of singing before the Lord and before others when we look at that verse 
and, and even this passage. But I don't think we should overlook at what I believe Paul was actually trying to accomplish here and how he was fitting that into the picture of this letter. When the word of Christ is dwelling within you, you, you now, from the very beginning of the verse, the word of Christ dwelling within you, you are now prepared with all wisdom to what? To teach and admonish. And then he says, but why don't you go ahead and use songs and hymns and spiritual songs to teach and admonish? So what is the Apostle Paul telling us to do when the word of Christ is dwelling within you? He's saying, go and teach and admonish. Oh, and by the way, go ahead and use psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to do that. So, yes, there is a functionality in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to, to use singing and music, as it were, to teach and admonish. So you, you can use those for that purpose. And I don't, th- I don't think he's saying that not to sing hymns and, and, and hymns and spiritual songs um, for any other reason. Um, because he says in the last half of that verse, he says to, to have singing with thankfulness in your hearts where? To the Lord. So yes, he does affirm that. But I think we walk right past what he's really trying to say in that verse. With all wisdom, because of the indwelling of the word of Christ in you, go and teach and admonish. That's what I think he's really trying to say. So now, that, is, that doesn't mean that we can't use music for, for like what we do here on Sunday mornings or, or any other gathering. I, 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 it's not speaking against that. But he's using it as a picture. He's using it as a tool. And how do we do that? We do it all in the name of Christ. Look at the last part of that. Verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I love what the Apostle Paul does here. What does he do? He actually sums up in verse 17 a lot of what he has already said. What does he do? He admonishes the Colossians. He literally is taking his own advice and he's admonishing them. And how does he do it? He says, do all that you do, whatever it is that you're doing, as a result of putting on love and letting the peace of Christ rule and flavor all that you are. And because the word of Christ has been dwelling in you, in, and which that word of Christ has enabled you with all wisdom to teach and admonish, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he says on top of that, and then give thanks for it. Isn't that amazing what he does in that one verse? He literally sums it all up. Do all that you do, whatever it is that you do, as a result of putting on the love and letting the peace of Christ rule and flavor all that you do because the word of Christ has already been dwelling in you, in, uh, in you, which 
again, as I shared before, has enabled you, because that word of Christ has been dwelling in you, it has enabled you with all wisdom to teach and admonish. It's not in your own smarts, but in all wisdom because the word of Christ has been dwelling in you. And then he says, do it all in the name of Jesus. And give thanks to Christ Jesus. Ultimately giving Christ to God, or thanks to God the Father. I love the way he sums it up in that one verse. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at we're going to look at some of the practical side of the bullet points, maybe, I guess would be the best way to do that, to say that and describe that, of what we just talked about in this overview of these verses. So I encourage you to be back with us tonight.